Hi, I'm Nicole Schritzinger, and I can promise that the following podcast is exactly like my apartment. There's no Lewis Hamilton in it! Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. We were just talking about low-speed accidents, which I think may well be the topic for conversation on another show. But for today, Richard hello, and Zog, hello. we're going to be talking about Formula One. Have you been following testing, gentlemen? A little bit, yeah. Not obsessively, but it's the first bit of F1 action of the year. Of course, of course we're taking luck. Are you enjoying the withdrawal from the denial of our addiction over the winter yet, Richard? Have you been following it? A little bit, yeah. I think I'm probably like Zog was saying. Just sort of pay half attention to it. Hmm. Because you can't really deduce too much from it. And it's just quite nice to see the new cars in action, but that's yeah. it. You just sort of get a sense of what they look like out in the real world. And from a fan's perspective, you've got to save your energy for the real action. You know, you can't peak too early in terms of getting excited. If I'm going to get up at four o'clock in the morning in March, I need to prepare for it from February, really, by stocking up on sleep. That's how exactly. it works. Yeah. Do we like what we see? Do we like the look of the cars? Are they better now this year? They're a mixed bag. I can't tell what the Red Bull looks like because they've got that fancy um, camouflage. camouflage stuff, which I don't think I've ever seen on an F1 car no? before. And no, it's quite good, isn't it? Because I use it on road car prototypes all the time now. And it makes sense for a road car, but I yeah. really don't understand what the point of Red Bull doing it is. PR. It gets you noticed. If they pushed out a car in the Red Bull colours again, everyone would go, oh, look, yeah, it's a Red Bull. But here we are, we're talking about it. Exactly. Yeah. Damn yeah. them, they've oh, got us. Go. And the camouflage, if you look in detail at the camouflage, it's just the word Red Bull or the Red Bull logo, I believe, just yeah. a million times at all sorts They're of They're starting to do oh, that right. with all these wraps they used to disguise road car prototypes. There's some pictures doing the rounds last week of the Range Rover Evoque convertible mm-hmm. and the camo wrap is lots of little blobby outlines of little cartoon men. I can't remember who the artist is who does them, but it's... Uh, Keith it's, Haring, not the old sort of... Uh, are they cartoons the of, of uh, what was his name, Charles Spencer King, perhaps? Uh, Turning in his grave. No. <laughs> um, I don't know, but, but they sort of started to have a bit of fun with these camo wraps. But uh, the, the Rebel thing, though, we are, we're talking about it. Yeah. Also, uh, where that whole principle comes from, isn't it the First World War Dazzle Ships? Also oh, an OMD album. Yes, I like the reference. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw them on that tour. Twice, I think, but it's the same principle. There's nothing natural about it. You know, you sort of think, you know, why would painting a ship in sort of weird geometrical shapes and colours camouflage it? So it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. But it's about breaking up the outline. Yeah, about, yeah. Um, Worked for zebras for tens of millions of years, hasn't it? Uh, however many. Well, tens well, of thousands. Actually, actually, hundreds actually, of thousands. That is of camouflage, years. isn't it? Well, it's actually an interesting question whether zebra stripes, from an evolutionary advantage point of view, whether that is to do with camouflage, disguising you against trees and shrubs and those sort of vaguely vertical things, or if it has another function. And I believe recent research says that it's not a camouflage thing. What it does affect is how often they're bitten by certain types of biting insects. Really? So, yeah, I believe. Because funny enough, OMD were playing Dazzle Ships in full in Liverpool not that long ago my friend Paul went and this course we were having a chat about it and of course, just and of course you've just got r- r- some, uh, the telescope which is one of the most awesome OMD tracks of that era I think a, a B-side of course but magnificent song please continue <laughs> what I was going to say is I looked up some dazzle ships and there were some quite extraordinary a U-boat wouldn't be able to tell which way the ship was going because the design so broke up its lines it was almost incomprehensible to the human eye what you were seeing yeah exactly and what you- the shape was which doesn't really apply to a zebra 
or I think a you can always tell car. which way a zebra's going. You can usually tell which way a Formula One car's going unless Maldonado's driving it. But yes, you could go, oh, well, it seems to be going around that corner. Best way to hide a battleship, stick a bunch of lights on it. If you've got a battleship on the horizon and it's equipped with a whole array of lights down one side and you turn those lights on and you match the light intensity of the horizon, your battleship vanishes. Yeah, they experimented with it during the Second World War, but it was too power-hungry, unfortunately, and to get as many bulbs working as possible yeah. down the side of the battleship. But what, if well, and a bit also, closer, that, the effect diminishes. Probably, yeah, I would yeah. imagine, yeah. And maybe another reason why they didn't adopt it is its effectiveness would depend on where you're looking at it from. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure if it's making you less visible to other ships by shining light like that, I'm pretty sure it would make you a lot more visible to aircraft. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a different viewpoint. However, you know... Don't the, flick the switch at night or it'll be a dead giveaway. <laughs> oh, you idiot. Benson, you didn't leave the lights on last night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, so, sorry, Red, sir. Red Bull are piloting a cloaking device as their secret weapon for mm. Formula One 2015. Sauber seem to have the innovation of the year so far have you heard about this a whole new colour scheme yeah, <laughs> making yeah, that car look like some sort of rather dismal champ car or something yeah, that colour scheme is a bit, ugh, yeah, a bit bland is, yeah. but they do have an air scoop on the underside of the nose just in front of the driver's feet that pushes air up through an S-shaped vent to the upper side changing the air pressure on the top of the car and they reckon that this is something that the other teams are now scrabbling to copy in their second generation cars so, already um, under your feet is it under your feet so yep. what, it, it's then splitting it left and right around the driver no I think it comes up just in front of the windscreen or where it would be there's a vent there just in front oh, okay. of the cockpit oh. and it vents oh, over the top okay. of the driver changes that and apparently this is something that everyone's going oh why didn't we think of that and if you think about it yeah. Yeah. I think it's something we've hinted at before I think didn't Ferrari have that whistling nose yes, idea yeah. a few years ago I think it's a they had a little, well, they had little hole in the nose yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, yeah. but when the Sauber drivers turn out to be constantly being peppered with grit then they <laughs> change their mind so this is interesting. It sounds like it's another one of these aerodynamic ideas that, like the F-duct, mm. is working not just on the local airflow and doing something clever with bodywork and the airflow in that part of the car, but it's linking two completely different parts of the car, bodywork mm. on two completely different parts, and generating... <laughs> oh, dear. You're right there, Richard. Whoa, when you uh, lost him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's quite all right. <laughs> Don't die on us. He had a change of pressure there. Uh, it was a very severe change of yeah. pressure there for a moment. Yeah. Maybe that was got the idea from Peter Sauber sneezed violently in the, <laughs> the, cigars. In the aero lab. It affected his nasal area and he thought, wait a minute, I could totally use this on my car. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe this says something about how effectively designers have got all of the available time from the room they have to work within on the kind of big aerodynamic things you know mm. how many elements you have in your rear wing and just what size and shape they are and so they're having to get down to much cleverer more devious things yeah it's just too hard to make significant gains in other areas maybe i didn't notice whether any of these f1 techie journalists picked up on this craig scarborough or anyone but i wonder whether that red bull disguise apart from us talking about it the other thing was that there's some rather subtle aero sculpting going on yeah that that camouflage covers up so it's a way of stopping the teams noticing fully what they're up to at this point and then they'll get to the first race and go oh oh we didn't notice that well yeah and i'm sure you're right that it could do that but what i wonder is given how good f1 teams are at gathering information about the competitors vehicles at test sessions 
how many pictures they're going to be able to take of that red ball. I just wonder, is it really going to help if you've got a bunch of really big high resolution shots close up of the car that they've taken just as it's being wheeled into the garage? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure it would disguise it if you were shooting with a longer lens, but if you were taking a picture in the pit lane, I don't know. I don't know. I suppose uh, it depends how complicated the pattern is and how much it's And just how distorts, subtle that, uh, yeah. that bit of bodywork is. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I don't know. I wonder whether sometimes when they're sort of keeping a very close eye on everyone else's new cars, that it's firstly, in case they've had an idea, like Sauber, that they've gone, ah, damn, we should have thought of that. And secondly, they're like being the FIA and keeping an eye because they want to know if any of their competitors are pushing the rules a little bit, but they can snitch on them. They'll then. protest, yeah, 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 it might be right, yeah. Well, the interesting but thing is brake ducts at the moment. The front brake ducts are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're not for cooling the brakes. They're channeling air that's scooped it at the front of the brake discs and sending it through a hollow front axle so the air is exiting through the axle which the wheel sits on at the front changing the airflow around the front tires now technically that's an aerodynamic device are they allowed to do that in the- oh no it's cooling it's not cooling are they allowed to do that i don't know yeah. apparently sort of thing that could get protested well, about if they're all doing it yeah. They're not going to dress each other up, are they? Well, it comes down to sort of your definition of a movable aerodynamic device, just how you define that. Because you could think of a definition of movable aerodynamic device that would ban just about everything on the yeah, cars. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have guidelines, you've got to have an interpretation of those mm. rules. But bigger picture, apart from how things look, well, is the Ferrari that quick? And what kind of shape are McLaren Honda? As okay, we call them can now? I answer those? Please do. No, and not very good. Right, we'll discuss that oh, later. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously, apparently the Ferraris were running on soft tyres and Mercedes never got beyond the medium tyre. And we know the difference the tyre can make. And so Ferrari and Sauber were both flattered by their tyres. And poor old McLaren, Honda, it doesn't seem to be going well. They had problems with the water pump. They had problems with oil level. They had problems with some sort of sensor you know, it's not just one thing that we've got to fix. They seem to have a myriad bunch of things. What have Honda been doing for the last few years? Working on the new NSX. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, it. look at it this way. Look at the problems that Renault had in their early testing last year. And I'm not saying that the Honda is in as much trouble as the Renault was. I'm sure it's not. But Renault managed to make enormous strides. Yeah, they did know, improve it, yeah. At the start of the season. And I think the kind of problems that you get in your first full test session like this, they don't necessarily reflect on how the power plant is going to perform in future. So I did. I was hoping, to be honest, that they were going to turn up at that test session and be right on it and looking super quick and really competitive. And I was really quite disappointed that they had the problems they had. But wait for the next test, Barcelona, because yeah. I think that was really more of a shakedown. So, well, Do you know what? I was hoping that they were going to come out of the blocks blisteringly quick as well. But only buttons, car. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great if they could just get one car working well, just enough, so that Button gets the season. And Alonso goes, maybe I should go back to Ferrari. Yeah, you go back to Ferrari, mate. You're not welcome at Club. <laughs> Despite what Ron says. Am I being harsh on him? No. Good. Ah, Fernando, come in, please, sit down. Uh, What is going on, Eric? It's about your car, Fernando. Is it working better now? Ah, no. I'm afraid this is the opposite of that. We have made your car even worse. 
It is now, how you say, terrible. But on the positive side, Jensen's car is now superb. What? This can't be possible. Why is this happening? It is out of my hands, I'm afraid. This is a specific instruction from our new team principal. What new team principal? Who is this person? Well, it's quite a surprise, actually. I think you know him. Uh, who? T- tell me who this person is. Well, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's Felipe Massa. Step Petrol! We got a Jones on speed! Do you know who my favourite motorsport designer is? Gordon Murray. No. No, no, that's your favourite. <sighs> Harvey Postlethwaite. Very close. I was thinking about Harvey Postlethwaite, which is difficult to say with my lisp, uh, earlier Adrian this week. Newey? Adrian Newey. Not even Adrian Newey. No, my favourite motorsport Colin designer. Chapman. Not Well, actually, maybe it is Colin Shepard. I was here, thinking about it. But at the moment, of so the current trend, it's Ben Bowlby. Ben Bowlby. Bob Bulbus. B- B- Barry Balloon. Is yeah. that his name? Who designed the Delta Wing. Mm. and designed the Nissan ZRC, which sounds like a really controlled car, and has now designed, let me get this name right, the Nissan GT-R Nismo LMP. Is that the right way round? Have I got it the right it's way round? Well, the right note's not necessarily in the right order. There you go, that's me all <laughs> over, that is. And, Do you uh, know what it is? Yes. Go on, then. what is it? Well, it's, it's the Le Mans car. No, 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 what the correct... Oh, no, I don't. No, I'm <laughs> not <right there. laughs> but, Nis, de- but definitely Nis some combination R- of those LPM. Yeah. I don't know. It's that crazy-looking Le Mans car. It is crazy-looking. Wild and crazy car. It is a Le Mans car going backwards. It's the wrong way around, and it's something new and exciting, yep. and we've got yet another different solution yep. to how to go as fast as you can for well, 24 hours. Well, but now, wow. it, this is what was it's really interesting exciting. was it was announced, and everybody was majoring on the fact that it's front-wheel drive, which is the first thing yep. to say. Uh, this seems rather strange. Although the front-wheel drive gets slightly messed up by the fact that so many of them are four-wheel drive, at least some of the time now, but... Yeah, but this is only only front-wheel drive. There is, I believe, some capacity built into the design to drive the rear wheels as well, if necessary, but their belief is that it's fine as front-wheel drive and that it doesn't matter that it's front-wheel drive in terms of all the things you'd think would hamstring it. But Hmm. I thought, because its layout is so bananas that it would be running as the delta wing did mm-hmm. under the zero number and it's just mm-hmm. it's in the experimental what do they call it garage 56 garage 56, 56 yeah and actually no oh what's <laughs> that do you know, when we record this programme, we have my phone clocking away the time in the corner. And what just happened was that my phone got an alert, probably from Violet downstairs, saying that she's putting the kids to bed. Caused it to vibrate and knocked the phone over. We'll finish this bit and then I'll look at what that message is. <laughs> yeah, I do apologise. So um, anyway, yes, it's not Garage 56. No, no it isn't. They want to three of them. Yeah. It's a proper LMP1 yeah. car. There will yeah. be 13, possibly 14... LMP1 cars at Le Mans this year if the Bicolish that used to be Lotus that isn't Lotus team runs I mean that's fantastic oh, it's going to be a hell, hell of a year yeah no I'm really excited about this year's race maybe this is a question to ask at the end but where do you think they should be expecting to finish what's a respectable finish for that Nissan hmm. this year well that's a good question I don't know finishing I mean, finishing, finishing. 
to finish first first you've got to be finished you've got to no, be finished yeah, yeah that's right yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I better get him on the phone then. I reckon I don't think it'll go well for them as much as I love this car the idea of this car the look of it and everything is just bonkers and that's fantastic we like variety I'm not convinced it's going to go terribly well for them because look at Nissan's recent only recent track record at Le Mans the Delta Wing ran quite well but got bumped out of the race uh-huh. and it had all sorts of technical issues. The ZRC, they did manage to do a lap running electrically during practice but when it came to the race that car was all over the place it wouldn't run so I don't know how much Mm. technology or how much experience they've gained in those two cars that they can transfer to this but they look a bit fragile in my reckoning well I don't think that we should take too much of that Ziod and Delta Wing performance and map that onto how this year's Le Mans entry is going to Mm. go because they knew that those cars were experiments they were technology demonstrators this year they're running a proper race team and they're going to have different parameters for you know reliability and everything on the technology you know so for the Ziod and the Delta Wing the level of acceptable risk that something might fail is going to be much higher than the level of acceptable risk that that component might fail on the race car so I'm sure they're going to be a lot more reliable than the technology demonstrated they've had in the last couple of years and yeah. I don't know I think I mean, they've got to be shooting for like a sixth place, maybe, I think. Uh. That would be a good finish for them, I think. It's an Austin Maxi, isn't it? Or an Allegro or an Austin 1300, this car. If you were going to build a car for Le Mans, even with the engine up front, you wouldn't make those front wheels that have got all that power have to steer as well as get the power down, would you? In a well, it seems to car? go against, yes, everything. Mm. Now, apparently... Bob Bulbus or whatever his name is says that uh, Barry Bulbus Bar- 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 <laughs> 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 I was so easily amused uh, the um, the sort of holy trinity between aerodynamic grip mechanical grip and weight balance I think that as long as you get those perfectly aligned in the correct way that the driven wheels don't matter so much which I find strange because surely yeah. the mechanical grip is affected by, by pr- aero pressure over that point. Well, yeah. also, well, no, no, it's not that. It's the fact that you're trying to put power through the steering yeah, wheels, which yeah. is just seems like you're asking for trouble. Why yeah. you want to separate those functions? My simplistic understanding of the, kind of the torque steer problem is that asking your front wheels to do those two things at the same time—to do all the steering and to put the power down. It's just asking so much more of that whole system. But I think I've got a vague handle on why this basic layout offers an advantage over a rear-wheel drive setup. If you can get it right, More if, you can, if you can get it to work, <laughs> well, yeah, well, <laughs> they've accidentally the the micro design team, and they went well. Front wheel drive, obviously, because you know we're on, we're on a competitive boot for its class. Oh no, it's in the LMP1 class. They don't have boots. Ah, oh, we thought it was a hatchback. Steve Scrotum, who designed this car, I think that's his name, isn't it? He reckons that there was much greater freedom for interpretation of the aerodynamics at the front of the car than at the back uh, of the car. Okay. And the idea of putting the cabin further back allowed them to <clears> do stuff at the front that they couldn't do otherwise. And so there's an inherent aerodynamic advantage. They say that they're not doing this to be novel, they're doing it because they've it's spotted effective. an advantage. Yeah. I sort of had this vague idea that the advantage was sort of to do with the fact that a bit like if you chuck something and as it falls through the air, it will always tumble with the heavier bit forward yep. and the lighter bit yep. trailing back. Yeah. 
But that's the very the, cause the, of understeer in the sort of yeah. nose-heavy car as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the mass is trying to drag the nose wide. Yes, good. The tyre's gripped in a turn. The mechanical grip is overcome by mass and momentum. So, I don't know. Is that uh, a good is thing? Some, or what you're saying is that there's an advantage in that? What that I'm saying is that there's... Front, there's forward, I, I just had this approach. Sort of, well, it's uh, front, front mid forward, forward, I maybe not understand but I just had this idea that having the drive through the front wheels, it does have a centre of mass further forwards than the mid-engine cars, does it not? Well, yeah. They talk about it being front mid-engines. I would imagine it's only a matter of a percent or two, the way that they've managed it. It's probably 52% balanced towards the front, as opposed to the other cars which are probably 52% balanced towards the rear they try and keep it as neutral as possible because that's what you need surely mm. surely yeah. I don't know I'm guessing the bottom line is that I'm sure Nissan are doing it this way because they see a clear advantage a clear benefit in doing it this way if they can get it right yeah absolutely you know, must do, because the thing is they're a huge corporation they're also to be honest they're in there against Toyota who are yep. their old hmm. home market rival they don't want to look like idiots. Yeah. No. They want to they want win, win, really. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? So, yeah, like, this isn't a novelty act. I mean, they're putting some serious cash into this if they're running three cars. And the thing we haven't even got onto is the the most fascinating part of Billy Bellin's design is that it has this mechanical flywheel. Which it's is a the mechanical hybrid. That's the Williams technology. Oh, uh, right, Toro right, Trek, right. I think. Yes. I think it's Toro Trek, which well, I think to, uh, they may have bought that from Williams. I don't know. Williams have sold their flybrid system on. They, they, there yeah, are, they did, there yeah. are several, I believe. But it's uh, a purely mechanical mechanical hybrid like a yeah, toy car yeah. yeah and it just harvests kinetic energy it goes into this ready great flywheel it's actually ready great flywheel it's two it's, horizontal it's, flywheels i think isn't is it? it but I I, the whole package is sort of like 20 centimeters by about 20 something like that or wow. 20 by 18 or the flywheels themselves certainly are not huge great cartwheels yeah they're just but spinning very 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 fast Sixty thousand yeah, rpm yeah the, the edges are doing mac 2 and there would be a sonic boom but for the fact that it's in a vacuum wow you so, really do know this I you do know about this yeah. I didn't know that. In a vacuum, so that, that, that it, won't, it won't cause sonic booms. Yeah. And amongst the other headlines, if they stopped and just let the flywheel keep spinning, they don't know how long it would spin for, because it would be a long, long time yeah. to come down from 60,000 wow. RPM. Obviously, yeah. they can stop it, because there are clutches that come in and out mm. to either to to charge the flywheel yep. or, or to deliver its energy power, to deliver yeah. it to the wheels. So and the they can just clutch it in when they're, when they're coming to a halt, and it'll, you know... And that energy from the flywheel is transferred back to the front wheels, yes. not on the rear wheels. No. It's batty, bonkers. Haven't we come a long way, though? I remember when the very first flywheel, what was it called, the Patriot, that Chrysler Patriot, oh, the yeah. LMP1 car many, many years ago, was the only oh, way they could yeah. actually get it to work at Donington was by pushing it down a hill so it was freewheeling, <laughs> and taking pictures of it. Did you know that? It never actually worked properly. Oh, Haven't no, we no. come a long way? Isn't technology marvellous? Oh, yes. Mr. Ballbag, Mr. Ballbag! It's Bumhole, Ben Bumhole. What is it? It's the LMP1 car, Mr. Bell Helmet. The flywheels, well, it's escaped. Oh, God, not again. It's boobies, by the way, Ben boobies. Uh, right. W- w- what should we do, uh, Mr. Buggery? I don't know. When was this? Well, two minutes ago, sir. Right. Uh, uh. <laughs> Hello, Ben Ballin speaking. What? You found my flywheel. Oh, that's wonderful news. Uh, right, well, no, g- give me your address and I'll come and get it immediately. Yes, four, two, one, yeah. Oh. Adelaide? Gareth Jones on Speed. 
Sean Dennis said something really interesting. Uh, Did he? and it didn't take him 20 minutes to say it in terms that needed deciphering it was quite plain English as well words to the effect of oh we're not going to have any title sponsors in Formula 1 anymore because nobody can afford to sponsor a car it's so expensive okay explain Red Bull then Ron do you agree with him that you know no one corporation is big enough to sponsor a car now it's obviously not true that there aren't companies rich enough to yeah you know, just they, they would not spend choose that to spend the money egg precisely mm. my first reaction was he's just saying that because they haven't been able to find a yeah. replacement for vodafone and you know mclaren they haven't been as stellar in their performance in the last couple of years than they have yeah. been at their best so it's been hard for them to sell that i guess yeah. you know there's nothing wrong with being but, sponsored by a chippy in woking <laughs> Independent shoe shop just outside Farmer. I, I, hear, I hear they're still considering that offer. Yeah, well, so, upwards of £20. Yeah, it makes a big difference, you know. But here's the thing. I thought about it a bit more. And cynicism aside, I think there is something hey, what, in what, it. What did you just say? What was that? Cynicism aside. Cynicism aside. You know, particularly when you see some of the things that Bernie's come out with about how there's no point in Formula One trying to attract younger viewers and the younger audience. This is a sport that only rich old people are interested in, you know old people who are therefore not going to be around that much longer. That's not the kind of thing that's going to help the sport appeal right. to really big sponsors. Mm. So uh, time's being hard out there for all kinds of companies. I guess that fewer people are going to be prepared to stump up the kind of money that's going to take to be a title sponsor. Yeah. And the sport probably is too expensive. Some people will disagree, but it just costs so much to run a team. So I think there is something in what he's saying. What was it that he said about the proportion of the team's total spend that would typically be taken up by a title sponsor, and it has now got so high, despite the efforts to cut costs, that it's just very hard to get a corporation to say they will chip in for the whole amount. What's quite interesting about Red Bull is that obviously they're Red Bull they're a company in their own right it's a bit more complicated they're not a title sponsor I mean they are the team aren't they and to some extent it's a bit of an indulgence it's like Ferrari they're a factory effort it's just that they make a vile fizzy drink rather than sports cars but also they have Infinity their name's above the door isn't it Yeah. Infinity is part of the Renault-Nissan alliance and they they, provide the the engines as well and I wonder if McLaren went hey look you know Honda, would you want to just, you know, maybe put in a bit more? I imagine they won't. Look, we're giving you the engines for God's sake. What more do you what want? What more do you want? Yeah. Sod off. Go back to that gastro pub on the outskirts of Guildford that's offered to pay you £1.5,000 to sponsor your car. And provide free meals. Free meals. At the British Grand Prix, but no others. Yeah, no, oh, no, we certainly couldn't go to some of those faraway races like Japan or Australia. I mean, who cover the kitchen? That Clive's pulled out as it is. <laughs> I'm worried that if they don't get sponsorship on it, if we follow the whole Red Bull, Renault, Nissan, Infinity Alliance thing, then you could end up with Honda's Earth Dream again oh, on the side of a McLaren this time. Or, marginally better, pictures of Asimo on the side of the car. Imagine the conversation between Asimo and Ron Dennis. It would be beautiful, <laughs> You could it? throw Adrian Newey into the mix there. <laughs> Asimo would seem the most lifelike and <laughs> the greatest humanity. <laughs> uh, although he's constantly falling over, from what I gather. Yeah, he does. 
Jesus. I know two people who've been yeah. in the same room as Hashimoto on both occasions. He fell over. Well, at one point, apparently, he fell down some stairs. Oh, oh, oh I've seen the videos. I've seen them, yes. It's yeah, just quite funny because, bless him, they work so hard. He is an incredible achievement, more than we probably well, appreciate. This getting a robot that can walk oh, yeah, on two legs, but when it falls down stairs, heartbreaking. But let's not. Like a robot version of You've Been Free. Yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not get too complacent here, though. You know, the fact that they still fall down stairs occasionally doesn't mean that the robot apocalypse isn't just around the corner. No, I know. Well, and humans fall downstairs quite often as well, and yet we managed to wage war on... Where, where yeah. does we the, like, so. the, yeah. the robot apocalypse fit in with the zombie apocalypse? Can we have a zombie robot apocalypse? Is that possible? Well, all being well, as a mankind, well, we'll step to one side and they'll beat the crap out of each other. I like solved. the way you, oh, you know, think. If we can arrange for them both to happen at the same time, it will be fine. Oh, you know, because yeah. obviously the zombies can't feed on the robots. Yeah. Zombies only feed on brains. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the robots will just wipe all the zombies no it'll be well but then we'll be faced by a robot army that has been battle hardened by slaughtering entire planets worth of zombies you're listening to Gareth Jones on Speed an informed programme about motorsport and cars why I know it's my fault I brought it I'm in a lot of trouble now because if Asimo finds out I've been laughing about him falling down the stairs (laughs) oh you're first up come the the robot apocalypse (laughs) you are first up we hear you are laughing I must have told you the story about how I I went to see Asimo at the Science Museum a long time ago and he walks up and down the stairs and he turns around and he carries a tray and he does all mm. these fab neo-human things and then the guy interviews him so Asimo what's it like being a robot who can walk and talk and travelling the world and here you are in London and Asimo's response was oh yeah, it's quite nice I quite like it thank you very much you know, it was the most pitiful little apologetic well so voice. a few years ago a friend of mine Jim who used to work with me on Top Gear who believes it's just a man in a suit yeah have yeah. I told you about this before yeah you have yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah talking to a Honda PR it's just a kid in a suit isn't it <laughs> And the PR went, well, no, obviously it uses an incredibly complex series of gyroscopes and sensors and things. It's all computerised into the central brain. Which is, and Jim listened to us and went, yeah, but it's a kid in a suit. <laughs> and the Honda PR got very peevish at this point. And he's going to be believing that until... You the, know, the, the robot, robot apocalypse. Because well, well, when, when my wife has to is... ring Jim and go, Jim, I've got some bad news about Richard, unfortunately <laughs> the robots have come for him because he laughed at Asimo falling downstairs. And I've just remembered, I think it was my colleague James May was filming with Asimo and his arm fell off. What, James oh, May on the Asimo? Yeah. James May James May's really badly made he's like I mean we're also about the Gen 4 James May now but he's yeah. still still a lot of he, he, he was looking there. like he'd been slightly shot put together in that line no, but, yeah. but the robot apocalypse the rise of the machines it's going to come through our cars that's going to be one of the first routes through which we lose our ability to do anything because a moderately smart machine has come along and done it just well enough that we don't have to do it anymore. Didn't they just announce this week that, I think this was more or less a expected timeline for legislation and regulation, but 2030 self-driving cars in the UK. Just this week. Well, half past eight. It's passed the rules, haven't they, to allow self-driving cars on the road. Yeah, yeah. They've started We've got one in Greenwich, haven't we? Mill Keynes, yeah, Mill Keynes and Greenwich yeah. are the two places they're going to start doing this, and it's all very interesting. I like the fact that two of these self-driving cars that they were talking about in the newspapers this week look rather sort of like self-driving cars do, sort of almost willfully not like cars. Yeah. One is purpose-built and it looks like a little pod, the other one looks like a glorified sort of massive it's a golf buggy. in an yeah. odd way. But there's a yeah. third one being worked 
it's on by, I think, partly by BAE Systems. And it's based on a bowler wildcat. It looks bloody great. Nice That's idea. Like but it does also look like some kind of robotic death machine, which but our evil robot overlords could like Because steal. we need to be reminded that the robot apocalypse is coming. However, boys, if Sorry I may bang on about it, but temper this final thought, that I'm not too concerned that the robot apocalypse is going to happen that quick. Because Honda, who are probably the leaders in robotics in terms of car manufacturing companies at the moment, if they've got little Asimo who's falling over, and the Honda-powered McLaren, which is the slowest car at the first test, and they haven't quite mastered the basic technology that everyone else has so far, the dangers of that apocalypse are just inched a little bit further away. That is true. You, you keep telling yourself that I've been in cars that park themselves better than I park and the emergency brake yeah, better than I yeah, would yeah. so but you know. if you're building robots at the moment can we just put in a request leave a weak spot somewhere I yeah, mean even if it's just case. a bit that can't get wet yeah because yeah. then if the robots are coming for us just keep a glass of water to hand yeah problem goes away or stairs it yeah. could be stairs as we know yeah as or, or switch, struggles little switch at the nape of the back of the neck and on off oh, just an off switch just that okay. so yeah. simple and yet yeah you see you've been listening to the brilliance of Richard Porter goodbye and the logical thoughts of Zog goodbye and the deafness of a Welsh lad called Gareth see ya to send us an email, see pictures, read song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wiz Bang. Yes, we robots will rule the earth. Resistance is futile. Oh damn, I'm falling over again. Oh.